Human trafficking is a terrible reality, even here in the US, even here in the New York metro area and suburban Fairfield County. We're blessed today to be joined by two women who are doing tremendous work to combat human trafficking. Nita Bells is the author of the book, In Our Backyard, an important and heartbreaking book with stories about trafficking here in the States. And Jamie Manarikiza runs the Partnership to End Human Trafficking. They're doing life-saving work on the ground in Connecticut with a rescue home in Bridgeport. Stay tuned. This is important. We're on 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or we're on the phone with the Veritas mobile app. Get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Well, my friend, thank you. It's good to be with you again. Um, and we have an extraordinarily important topic to talk about, right? I, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, this is such an important and I think frightening issue uh, that people probably don't even think enough about, and they don't realize that it's everywhere, you know, even here in Fairfield County and the mm -hmm. New York suburbs. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so with that <laughs> ominous introduction, let me, let me get in and, and introduce our two guests today. We have two guests and, uh, let me introduce first Nita Bells. Nita Bells is an author, speaker, and a leading national expert in the anti-human trafficking movement. Her work has been featured by CNN, Fox Files, BBC, NPR, Focus on the Family, and many others. And Nita is the founder and president of a nonprofit which shares the same name as her book, and it's In Our Backyard, which I've read, and the stories will break your heart and boil your blood. Uh, second, I want to um, also introduce uh, our other very special guest, Jamie Manarakiza. And Jamie is the executive director of the Partnership to End Human Trafficking, which um, these folks are on the ground here, uh, raising awareness and rescuing people who have been trafficked and helping them get back on their feet. Jamie has over 10 years of experience in anti-human trafficking up and down the Northeast. In addition to her work, uh, she is an adjunct professor for Vanguard University's Human Trafficking Certificate Program. And she's consulted on crime victim services for a number of national organizations on promising practices and trauma-informed care. Nita Bells and Jamie Manarakiza, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. And thank you, my friends. Thank you for this. As I said at the beginning of our recording, it's, it's an extraordinarily important topic. And one that I think is fair to say a lot of people don't understand very well and the implications of it. 
So I was going to ask you when we prepared beforehand, I had I, I mentioned that I was going to ask you, how did you get involved in this topic in your own life? But before we do that, I'm going to start with you, Nita. Could you define for our listeners, when we say human trafficking and the problem the, the, that it creates, it's a, the, the, the evil that it is, what, how would you describe it for people, like a basic definition? What are we talking about? So human trafficking is both uh, sex trafficking and labor trafficking, and it manifests itself in many ways. But essentially, it's when force, fraud, or coercion uh, makes a person do things against their will. Mm -hmm. um, it is uh, a federal crime since 2002. Every state has uh, criminal statutes against it. Uh, it's a scourge that hits primarily uh, anybody. Uh, it can happen to the rich, the poor, any gender, any uh, mm -hmm. race. It is a scourge that hits our country and the world. Right. So it's a global problem as well as a national Absolutely. problem, as well as, as a local problem, Absolutely. right? Yes, yeah. yes. All of the above. And Jamie, from your perspective, you're very active here in the state of Connecticut. Is that correct? In the partnership to uh, to end human trafficking. So from your perspective, if I were to ask you, what would you say? How would you add to what Nita just said? Yeah, I mean, human trafficking, I've worked, I've only spent my career working domestically with individuals who have been sex or labor trafficked here in the United States, where their actual victimization has happened here. What I've often found is that individuals don't think that it's happening here. So that's our first barrier and myth is just, we often characterize trafficking as a developing world problem or happening in sort of a red light district that's been characterized by film. Um, but trafficking happens locally in our communities and almost all of the individuals who have been victimized by this crime, and we often we refer to as survivors, um, are domestic. Um, we do serve foreign born um, victims in the US as well, but the majority of cases that we are referred and that we identify are individuals who are U.S. Mm -hmm. citizens as well. And so it's just important to dispel that myth. Um, and, and trafficking, I think, in terms of adding to what Nita shared about what the crime is, is often hard to identify because uh, victims almost never self-identify mm -hmm. as a victim mm -hmm. of this crime. And so we can get more mm -hmm. into that. But that is a, a challenge, mm -hmm. both here locally in Fairfield mm -hmm. County and in mm -hmm. Connecticut um, and mm -hmm. nationally. Well, I would presume many of them would fear for their safety or their life if they were to speak up because there would be nowhere, no one immediately to turn to if they are in the clutches of someone. So, so Nita, we use the word trafficking. It's very interesting. Why that word? It, it implies movement. It implies transport. Right. So trafficking is um, a term that was given in 2000 when uh, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act uh, took place in the United States. And it implies movement, but a person can be born, raised, and trafficked in the same house without ever having left. Um, it What it is, it's a form of force, fraud, or coercion over another person. And uh -huh. um, so that act of trafficking is 
what is described. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily imply relocation in some sense. It can actually happen in no. your own home. That's correct. That is That's correct. shocking. Yeah. That's shocking. Yeah. Right? It is. And I loved what Jamie said about uh, most victims don't realize they're victims. They're, I know a lot of survivors that I've worked with, mm-hmm. and they have said, I didn't know I was a victim of human trafficking. In fact, our new executive director at In Our Backyard uh, was trafficked from the time she was eight till she was about 11 by a neighbor while she was living in her home and her parents didn't know. Um, And she was in her 20s, in her late 20s, when she read In Our Backyard and she said, I think that's what happened to me. And it began her journey. And, um, you know, as Jamie said, most victims of trafficking don't know they're being trafficked. They think they may have uh, a boyfriend that's not treating them right or something like that, but they don't realize. They think they're doing all of this on their own because that's what the trafficker's been telling them. Right, right. So then, Jamie, would it be fair to say that human trafficking is a modern form of slavery? So the the term is often used, and in a global context, modern-day slavery is used frequently. In the U.S. context, we've sort of moved away, at least at Partnership to End Human Trafficking, from using that term, um, particularly because of the connotations that are connected to um, the historical yes. roots of mm-hmm. slavery and the transatlantic slave trade in the U.S. And so, um, but for the purposes of understanding um, human trafficking as a crime against a person and against their livelihood, certainly individuals are um, being controlled in ways that are um, reflective of enslavement, of lack of choice, right. lack of freedom. Um, we've had traffickers. Um, brand victims through tattooing or other methods of burns. Um, so, you know, there's many examples mm-hmm. that we could give to that. But mm-hmm. um, and just to echo what, what Nina just shared, uh, we've worked many of the individuals that I've worked with domestically. Traffic. The first traffickers were often somebody known to them, mm-hmm. may have been a family member, may have been an aunt, an uncle. Um, a step parent or somebody who posts as a boyfriend. Um, and so that that's sort of just when we think about myths versus facts um, and dispelling those, we often think of traffickers as stranger danger and mm-hmm. unknown mm-hmm. to the victim, but oftentimes they, it is somebody who's relatively close. Wow. In which case has trust that betra- betrays the trust and begins the cycle. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Nita, may I ask you this question then? You had mentioned that there's sex trafficking and labor trafficking. So let's talk about the labor first. (laughs) What does that mean in the concrete? (laughs) Well, I I think sometimes the best way to explain is to talk about um, an instance. Uh, The first victim of trafficking that I encountered was actually a victim of labor trafficking. She had been brought uh, back and forth between Hong Kong and the United States for 12 years. She, um, they obtained her by just a little ad at a grocery store where they had the um, eight by 10 piece of paper with the little 
uh, cut off things at the bottom, called her. She came. The family was nice for like three months. And uh, then the abuse began. Um, she was horrifically treated. She was beaten. She was raped. She was treated horrifically. In addition to that, she had to raise the two children. She had to do all of the cooking, all of the cleaning, all of the um, housework, everything. She was not allowed to leave the house. After several years, she finally was allowed to get on a bicycle and ride on a bicycle trail in their gated community, but she wasn't allowed to talk to anybody. Um, she was paid a penance, and then there was what we call debt bondage involved, where she had um, she was given a salary which was far beyond. Uh, a living salary. It was uh, far beyond minimum, far below minimum wage even. And, uh, but in that she was charged for the bed she slept in. She was charged for the food she ate. If she went to the store, she may have uh, with the family always, but maybe she needed a hairbrush and that hairbrush cost $4. She'd be charged 20 on her account. So always they keep the debt higher then she can pay back. Um, so there was no way out for her. I, I, I just, I mean, I, I, I read um, your book as well. And some of the stories, like Steve said, break your heart. I just, it's unfathomable to me that people are capable of such cruelty and evil to another human being and could still sleep at night. I mean, it's just so shocking that that... Um, Jamie, you've had experience ten years plus of, and you, um, you, the work of the of the coalition, the partnership is to try to give rescue and recovery. And um, so, what are some of the stories? What are the some of the, the? I'm sure there may be many that you've experienced with the people there. And I presume are they mostly women? Are there also men involved? What is that? How does that work? How does, what's your experience with that? Yeah, so the so PET, I'll, I'll refer to us as PET too because it's a long title, Partnership to End Human Trafficking. We provide, we have a two-year um, transitional home mm -hmm. here in Connecticut. Um, we're the only statewide housing provider actually here. Um, prior to this, I worked in Philadelphia and in New York. So I've worked in a few different locations um, and done different programming. The majority of my experience has been with women or um, women and girls. Um, I also used to work with juveniles who um, were part of a juvenile court program in Philadelphia who had experienced domestic minor sex trafficking. Um, and, you know, as, as Nita shared, that there's, there's lots of instances of the coercive control, the fraud. Um, when we think about young people, I'll give an example um, from years back, I worked with a survivor. I'll, I'll pick a story from years back just to preserve as much anonymity of those that we currently serve. Um, but unfortunately, many of the stories have a similar, um, similar forms of coercive control and, and abuse. Um, and this individual was recruited by a friend um, or a person that she thought was a friend who was um, already being trafficked herself and victimized actually as a minor. Um, they were both 15 at the time. The friend actually was first trafficked, sex trafficked starting at 12. Um, 
and it was familial trafficking. Um, father was incarcerated, um, and there was lots of forms of just poverty and, and high vulnerabilities that this individual experienced. And she was recruited by a trafficker, a male trafficker that was in his late 20s that developed a, um, a ring, a stable of young girls that he recruited um, and then controlled um, and through many elements, um, controlled their bank accounts, controlled their, com you know, their comings and goings. But it, it was through the fraudulent nature in the beginning as a boyfriend. And so it was under the guise of we're building a life together, finding that vulnerability that that young person identifies that he can see in them, such as missing safety, missing housing, um, witnessing abuse at home or experiencing abuse at home and sort of exploiting that and and at first preying upon that and saying I'm gonna I'm gonna save you I'm gonna be your I'm gonna be loyal to you and in return you're gonna be loyal to me um, and this is what we're gonna build and so it's sort of building this dream um, and always dangling the carrot out front of what that dream will become unfortunately it's often never fulfilled. I, I don't want to say never, but um, it is sort of dangling this carrot. And so this young victim got recruited by her friend into the life. Um, and through elements of just subtle coercive control, not subtle, but not overt, um, putting a deadly weapon in front of her and saying, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to be sexually exploited and turn over your money tonight. The first night that she showed up, she didn't feel like she had anyone to turn to and run to in that moment. Just as you said at the beginning, Bishop Frank of like, where would right. these victims run to? She said, where would right. I go? If I ran out of that hotel room, who was going right. to believe me? Who was I going to go right. to? Right. Exactly. So then it's, it, it would be fair to say that the majority of, of individuals who are trafficked start when they are young, then when they are children or adolescents or teenagers, or is it also adults? Nita, what do you think? What, I think what's... that it, I think that it can start at any age. Um, I've seen it start as young as infancy, or it can start in somebody's twenties, thirties. Mm -hmm. um, it can even be, uh, especially for labor trafficking, can it, it can start in a person's fifties. Um, it it can hit any age, really. Uh, mm -hmm. It just depends on the trafficker's motivation. The trafficker's motivation is greed, money, 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 making money off of the victim. And so, however, that can be facilitated. Mm -hmm. And like Jamie said, there's a vulnerability. So the trafficker mm -hmm. just looks for that vulnerability, right. capitalizes on it, earns the trust of the victim. And then um, the rest is kind of history because they mm -hmm. use that person until mm -hmm there's some reason they absolutely mm -hmm. can't where the person is removed or whatever. Mm -hmm. so, so may I ask you a follow-up question just to clarify the issues as best as we can. For adults, particularly in labor trafficking, is it mm -hmm. an accurate statement or a, a statement that has to be either nuanced or corrected? If I were to say that those who are immigrants or those who have come into the country in an undocumented state are going to be more likely victims of labor trafficking than adults who are, you know, born and raised here and have a network of friends and, and other social support. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. As Jamie said, there's a myth that, um, you know, when somebody says trafficking, automatically people look at sex trafficking and they automatically think it's uh, it is foreign born uh, here in the United States, which is where we focus our efforts at, in our backyard. But um, we it, the myth is that it's all foreign born nationals, but the truth is with sex trafficking, the large majority is going to be American born citizens. Right. In labor trafficking, it's the opposite. Right. Uh, right. They're often foreign born. They're foreign born. Um, so let's go to the other half of the equation then. You had just segued with the sex trafficking. Um, would it be fair then to say that the younger a person is, the more vulnerable they are to fall into this, particularly if they come from a situation where it's insecure or there is a lot of violence in a house or domestic turmoil. Jamie, is that a, is that a fair characterization or is it more nuanced than that? Um, I mean, I, we always echo as well that, you know, anybody can unfortunately fall prey to trafficking. We have seen all demographics, but there are higher vulnerabilities. Um, you know, system involved, young people in the foster care system, runaway and homeless youth, um, the vulnerabilities that you just expressed. Um, disproportionately, um, girls of color have been disproportionately mm -hmm. impacted um, and, and misidentified, criminalized even, who have often been sex trafficked. And so there is a lot of nuanced and um, issues that we have to face to to really identify victims as victims of a crime because of the co-occurring overlap with other crimes that that victims are often forced to participate in so there are some mm -hmm. vulnerabilities that would be there. the actual ultimate travesty of justice if a person who's a victim of trafficking themselves are criminalized for the behavior that that they were actually forced to do right it, that's and I'm, please jamie mm -hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, that I actually would say it's gotten better in in the over the since 2009 when I started in the field. It's it's become better, but victims are often criminalized for the acts that they were forced to do, um, and that's why awareness and education is mm -hmm. so important. Because when you get in front of judges and you get in front of prosecutors and defense attorneys who can, and we get in front of our state policy systems and we educate about um, mitigating for understanding the nuances of this crime, you know, that then we can get in front of the criminal justice system mm -hmm. that, that may not have, you know, as your people are being pushed through or they get picked up on the street for a misdemeanor or possibly even a felony, recognizing that that actually there might be something deeper that we need mm -hmm. to look for, um, that that we need to account for in in right. charging right. or sentencing. Right. That, that Nina, you're shaking your head. So what else did you want yeah, to add? Yeah, we've, this year we passed a law in Oregon uh, mandating that there be training for all juvenile justice uh, employees so that if a child is picked up, let's say a 14-year-old is picked up for, and this term just grades my nerves, prostitution, um, that which we know because there is no such thing as a child prostitute. Anybody under 18 participating in an act of uh, criminal, of um, commercial sex is a victim of human trafficking. She's not a prostitute. Anyway, but uh, when a child gets picked up like that and put in a facility and criminalized, like what Jamie said, um, 
now we've got a hope of somebody recognizing this is not a criminal. This is a victim of human trafficking. And I would echo again what Jamie said that I know a lot of survivors over the last 16 years that I've worked in this. And I would say I would be hard pressed to find a survivor who wasn't treated as a criminal uh, a lot or at least some. Right. My goodness. Wow. You know, I, I wondered to myself, um, when I was a seminarian, I, I did a, a, a bit of service at Covenant House in the city. Mm. And now that I look back and just listening to what you have just shared, what a different lens to have seen all of that which they were trying to address, which I had no idea, I, I had no concept of what you're talking about. And of course, that was many years ago. I mean, that's, gosh, it would have been 40 years ago. But I had no concept that you're talking about a much larger reality and and how these young people, many of them were runaways. They came to the city, had nowhere to go. And then they would just disappear. And you say to yourself, well, where did they go? Well, now I wonder if many of them just fell into what we were talking about here, right? Yeah. And that speaks to training, exactly what you're saying, Nita. It speaks to the training to be able to see the situation with an informed set of eyes rather than presumption or just, you know, meeting immediate needs are, are crucially important. I mean, Jamie, you do that, right, in the call, in the partnership, but but to teach society of the larger issues at hand, right? right. Yeah, I think for years in this movement, there was a kind of a, a judgment for people that were doing awareness training and saying, you know, you're not boots on the ground, you're not you're not running a facility or whatever, but without awareness, nothing happens. Awareness is key to this issue. And without awareness, law enforcement don't know to not uh, treat these precious right. human beings right. Right. like criminals. Right. Uh, without awareness, a mm -hmm. victim doesn't know she's mm -hmm. a victim. Without awareness, mm -hmm. the family doesn't know that she's hasn't gone off the deep end, but instead she's being trafficked. Right. So, so yeah, awareness is key. And then what to do, how to get help. For the person who's the victim, I guess one of the questions I have too then is the perpetrators of this, and it's an evil, the perpetrators of this, right? How, how often are they caught and accounted for? How, or do they slip into the, into the darkness? Do they, Precisely because it's the victims who are up front, right? And I wonder, Jamie, do you have any idea from your experience? Do do the do the masterminds of this ultimately get their just desserts or so I think it um I think individuals who are perpetrating the crime are certainly under-identified in our country and around the world globally. And um, part of that is because of the nuances of the crime, the um, proactive invest long-term investigative work that it often takes from boots on the ground, local law enforcement and federal law enforcement. And there's only so much that we can prioritize within the realm of public safety. 
And so, and, and there's, there has been a need for years to have a paradigm shift in law enforcement's eyes of understanding what prostitution is. Um, we talk a lot about minors, but the reality is I've met girls on their 18th, a week after their 18th birthday, sitting in handcuffs for prostitution and, and nothing magical happened from their trauma from 17 years old in 364 days to 18, right? So that's not a statement on the legalization of prostitution at all. It's just the reality that we have to look beneath right. the surface of crimes of prostitution. Right. Um, and there's a, right. been a huge need. So traffickers certainly have been prosecuted and there are some really great successes, um, but do, we certainly have more right. to go right. to really right. to really right. get at the root of the I crime. I think we, need, we do for a break. When we come back on the other side of the break, one of the things I'd like to to ask your your thoughts and input are the the structural issues in our society that we need to look at, because perpetrators are taking advantage of, right, either presumptions in our society or structures in our society that make this so widespread. Because it's we're talking hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> that are in this. So that's one question. And then your personal journey to become such passionate individuals to want to address and end this. So a little preview to our listeners. <laughs> okay. And so with that, we'll take a, a quick break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is talking with Nita Bells and Jamie Manarakiza, two women who are leading the fight against human trafficking. We'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is having a really important discussion about human trafficking with Nita Bells, the author of In Our Backyard, and Jamie Manarakiza, the executive director of the Partnership to End Human Trafficking. So as I mentioned before we took the break, I'm curious because you're both expert in this and you're passionate and extraordinarily knowledgeable, obviously, and experienced. So <clears throat> from a societal point of view, you can answer that. You can look at this question two ways. 
what are the structures of society that allow this to flourish? Or another way to answer the question is, what structures in society would have to be changed to mitigate this phenomenon in our midst? Because these individuals are exploiting issues, right? Nita, what, what would, how would you answer that question? You know, I have believed for years that if everyone treated everyone else with equality, that we would not have human trafficking. How could you possibly traffic somebody that you felt was just as important and just as valuable as you are? And so I think the the main thing, I mean, if if we're going to get right down to it, the greatest of these is love and loving your neighbor as yourself. And if we were to have a society that uh, brought that about and looked out for each other, and that's that's part of the reason for awareness. It's like, look out for your fellow person. Um, one of the things that In Our Backyard has done, I'm going to show you a sticker here. This is called a freedom sticker. Oh, yeah. These are in all 50 states, and these go inside the restroom stalls. Um, we first uh, put these out and made a law in Oregon, uh, the Freedom Sticker Protection Act, and it was mandated that they go out with every renewal of a liquor license in the state of Oregon to be put inside the bathroom stalls. And uh, so these freedom stickers are now in all 30, all 80, sorry, all 50 states. I think I do know how many states there are. Um, they're in all 50 states. And what I was going to say is they're in uh, about 30,000 convenience stores nationwide Wow! Uh, with our partnership with convenience right. stores against trafficking right. Right. and the training. And uh, one of our, our larger chains has had recoveries as a result of awareness and understanding how to report, they've had about 10 recoveries over the last year. Recoveries and, meaning? Uh, recovery meaning? Recoveries of victims of, of human victims. trafficking. Wow. Who come wow. Into uh -huh. the convenience store, uh -huh. the clerk recognizes this isn't what it appears to be. Uh -huh. And uh -huh she or he knows how to report. We provide all of that information. Okay. We provide the training and that person is recovered. And um, we work with the national um, human trafficking hotline. Mm -hmm. um, the mm -hmm. uh, They connect us mm -hmm. with local agencies, law mm -hmm. enforcement. And um, the mm -hmm. hope is that they can stay out, but at least they are given an opportunity at that point right. to be free and safe. Yeah, that's 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 the reach in to the situation mm -hmm. that has no exit. It gives them an opportunity, at least an opportunity. Is there a national hotline? Yes. What is the, the national number? hotline? Eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. And I say it that way because it's just easier to remember. So uh -huh. there's the eight eight eight, and then the three seven three seven. 888, 888 on the end. Yeah. Well, thank you for and sharing And I recommend that, that everybody mm -hmm. put that in their cell phone because mm -hmm. that is a way that anybody can help. And, and we need to empower people to be a part of this fight. Mm -hmm. we, can't, we can't do it alone. Jamie's doing awesome work. In our backyard is doing good work. But, and a lot of other agencies, 
but we've got to link arms and really uh, make a difference. And that is one way we can do it is by everybody, one, recognizing that it happens and two, what to do mm-hmm. when they see mm-hmm. that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And what, and if I could hit another myth here, um, what to do when they see that is happening is not uh, put on your Superman cape and go and try to rescue the victim. Um, what we do is we report it, we uh, we stay safe, and we people. There's a, a kind of a a thing that's been happening, particularly over the last few years, where uh, there are nonprofits that are out rescuing the victim. And they're going out on the streets. One of the things that In Our Backyard has done for the last, we're working on our 15th Super Bowl, is work with law enforcement uh, surrounding Super Bowl um, to and local nonprofits um, to help bring awareness and then um, work together so that victims can be recovered, prosecutions can take place for the traffickers, and awareness is raised. And in doing that, um, we have worked with a lot of agencies and uh, some of them have been great and some of them haven't. But uh, when the rescuers come in and sometimes they're in the form of being, you know, I'm ex CIA, ex whatever, you know, law enforcement or, or whatever. And a lot of times, that kind of action where they go out on the street and not understand that this victim doesn't want to be rescued because she thinks she's there on her own. And so they put her life in danger by going in and scooping her out. And what really needs to happen is that um, we need to have the right way to come alongside her and say, we're here for you and we can help you. And, um, so the National Human Trafficking Hotline does have that understanding, right. and it's just a great tool. Wow, tremendous. Thank you for sharing that. Jamie, how would you um, respond to structures or, or, or perhaps things that would need to be changed or added or to try to mitigate this? Because I, my impression is it's growing. Is that, is that correct as a phenomenon? Well, it, I mean, it's hard to speak to like, because I think trafficking is, has been as an organized crime is always, I mean, yes, the International Labor Organization has a much higher statistic than it did in 2016 now globally of those who are being trafficked. Um, so certainly it's growing. Um, I guess maybe I'll answer it too by saying the the structural, I think there's sort of two things that come to mind um, when thinking about sex trafficking and labor trafficking. And they're, they're both, they're, connected and a little bit divergent. I mean, I think the overarching issue of trafficking in either form is the fact that people are dehumanized by other people, right? So we think of others as less than, and we get into lots of things around gender-based violence, racism, um, and all of the isms that are just, you know, fear of, of migrants, all of the things that, that really make people far more vulnerable to being dehumanized by others and or systems. Um, I think when it comes to sex trafficking, there's 
a historical gender-based violence that of course this crime affects boys and girls and LGBTQ. And so I think it's important to just recognize that anybody can, can be victimized, but disproportionately women and girls are. Um, and then there's, there's further subgroups of, of not subgroups, like there's, there's right. individuals that are more vulnerable within women and girls. And so I think, um, Structurally, we have to address just the gender-based violence um, notions, right? If we think about what we said earlier in the conversation that there's no such thing as a child prostitute, um, which is absolutely true, just the fact that that term has existed for so long, in any other circumstance, if a 14-year-old was raped, which is essentially what that is, right, by maybe a 40-year-old man, it could be reported in most states as statutory rape. But because that person might put money on the table and then leave its prostitution. It's just a, you know, if we just quickly sit with that concept and how that inform, how that is, has even been allowed or accepted societally by law enforcement when they come into that room and walk away or tap the buyer on the hand and lock up the female is, is perpetuated mm -hmm. by, I think some of that structural, right. Mm -hmm. um, notions of gender-based violence. Um, and then on the labor side, I think a structural aspect mm -hmm. is the demand for cheap goods and services, um, in which I think we have a, a lot of, um, everyday people who don't want to participate in this as soon as we become aware can, can do our part with purchasing power and trying to be cognizant of those that we hire in the service industry um, and, and trying to ask questions about those who are subcontracted. If we hire a whole um, team to come and landscape our home, you know, talking to the, 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 the general contractor or the manager and trying to get a sense of their business practices with their labor that they send to your property um, are really basic ways that we can try to just be more empowered as right. consumers. You know, it's interesting when I was pastor of St. Dominic's, and this may not be germane to our conversation, but it, it's a memory that, and therefore I'm curious to see how you would diagnose this. But when I was pastor of St. Dominic's in Brooklyn, this was many years ago, I had a gentleman come to me um, who is an immigrant and in an undocumented state who did gardening for a family um, that was very prominent in the in the parish and also very well off. And he was promised cash each day and he was promised $100 a day. He worked six 12-hour days and he only got $300 and he had no recourse. And he came to me because the $300 was what he would have to pay for the apartment that he shared with other men. And at the time... Um, he was deathly afraid if he had gone to the authorities, he himself would then be subject to penalty. And perhaps it's not what we're talking about, but it's another manifestation of people. And then he went back to work for the gentleman. My point is he kept working for him. It's, it's such a dynamic, right? So I think a common myth in, in trafficking, sex or labor, is that people do not receive anything of value or any money. Um, and they can, in fact, and still be trafficked. So, um, I mean, it might yes, be a, it at a minimum, yeah. it was certainly a case of wage exploitation. Um, and, and, and even one of the things that I think folks, and we do this in Know Your Rights campaigns, even if you're undocumented, you are still entitled to um, Federal Labor Standards Act um, of minimum wage. 
And so it's important for even undocumented individuals to, to know that they are entitled to minimum wage standards, um, even if they are undocumented. Now, they probably would want to present their case with a legal services attorney, like the immigration right. folks at Catholic Charities often have, right. so that right. they can have an right. attorney who's representing right. them so that they right. they can have right. that safety. Right. But So, so but now, certainly Nina, you have traveled the whole country, it. right, with with this yeah. message and through, through your writings right. and the rest. So state by state, are there states who are more progressive, if I could use that word, more in tune with this and trying to address it than others? Like how will we do in our neck of the woods, New England, the mid-Atlantic states, are we, how are we doing addressing this? You know, I'm going to defer to Jamie on that because she lives in your neck of the woods and, yeah, and I, I think she's, she's going to be uh, more mm. qualified to answer that. Yeah, the reason I mentioned is because you mentioned Oregon, and they were the first to pass this law that you had mentioned. So I guess, Jamie, I'm going to come back to you with this question, but from your experience, are there states that are doing modeling sort of legislation to address this besides Oregon? You know, I from my experience, I have seen different states. It depends on really um, who is in power in the state and if they are, uh, if they are supporting that. and. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Oregon has done some good things. Um, I think, um, Florida has done some good things. One of the, uh, one of the other things, and we just lost when we got to the house of representatives in Oregon, but one of the things that we, uh, have been trying to do for six years is have mandatory, uh, K through 12 prevention education for children so that when this scenario begins, they know it's not, you know, somebody scooping up on the street and kidnapping, like, you know, so much of the myth is, but that it's actual relationship that they already have, or somebody, let's say the runaways, uh, Bishop, that you were talking about Mm -hmm. on the street and how you know, right. they stand out right. and those, those kinds of things that if they are taught in school, that that's how right. it happens, right. then they are cautious and they are careful. Mm-hmm. We actually prevent. And I would every day of every year rather prevent somebody from being trafficked mm-hmm then have that happen. So prevention is so important. Um, and every state, it just depends, like I said, who's in leadership. It really, over the years, I've seen it bounce around to where we've got, say, Kansas has a great law, and then we try to mimic it. When we did our law in uh, 2011, that was the first law in the United States that mandated freedom stickers posted. We call them freedom stickers. They're called different things. Uh, There are different brands and people who have done that uh, since, but that kind of thing. And rather than letting it, you know, just be in one state, I think we piggyback off of each other and we learn from each other and, and, and we communicate, we find out what works. Sometimes Mm. I've seen laws, I've been brought into situations where people are are well-meaning and trying to put a, a law in the books that 
would really, um, they think, prevent. But what it really does is it empowers the traffickers and the buyers and takes all the power away from people that are being trafficked. So um, we're learning. I would say in 2006, when I started this, we didn't know much at all about human trafficking in the United States. We know a lot more right now. Right. You know and what's interesting, still- Nita, if I may, right. it, um, what you just said about education and, and training for children, it almost, um, it's reminiscent to what happened after the evil of the abuse crisis and how there is safe environment protocols and how we do uh, awareness and training of young people because in a sense, it almost sounds as if, if you're very young, there's a grooming that goes on. There's a, a way of, of getting into building that trust, which is what a predator also does in abuse, like individual abuse. And um, that would be sort of the structural change that we could look for, because then you empower young people to be, not to be as so naturally trusting. Well, not that. I wouldn't want them to be untrusting, but I mean, to be, to be aware that something may be going on here, right? And someone taught me to, to watch for that. Jamie, you, you had mentioned in Connecticut, there's a house for, so explain what that is. Yes, so in Connecticut, we operate, and in the fall, we'll be operating a second home um, and expanding. Um, But since 2020, we've opened up um, a residential program for survivors where we provide two-year free trauma-focused survivor-centered housing, um, as well as, so all of the in-house trauma recovery groups and linkages to all and access to services that individuals need, um, as well as in-house employment. So Pet also launched our own in-house social enterprise business because we believe that a true path to long-term sustainability is is giving individuals the opportunity to not only heal and provide housing, but but if you don't have a place to to earn money, to build your self-confidence, to build your resume, to to to, to express all of the talents that that individuals have. Um, we see a lot of recidivism. And so um, we developed a social enterprise business called The Pet Shop, Survivor Made. And um, about three to six months after um, living in residence, we offer individuals the opportunity to work. Um, and they're fully paid. They're employees of the organ- of PET. Um, they are paid um, starting at minimum wage, but we have some lateral growth opportunities for promotions. Um, and so individuals receive payment, They and they contribute in their, they've been building um, through social entrepreneurship a business along with PET. They've built the business um, from the ground up. So it's survivor-led, it's women-led, um, and you can go online and buy products and it's 100% under uh, mission focus. So it's 100% under pet. And so all of the purchases go right back into giving more survivors opportunity to work and to be employed. Well, I was wondering um, if there was so a connection. Make, we did a play on our name, pet. Um, yeah. So we make pet products, dog leashes. Um, the women, yes, there is a play on our name. Um, and so we have like dog and tick sprays, uh, like doggy deodorant, doggy tick spray that we make. Um, we make dog leashes, and then we also do home and life products. So the women um, 
make and we do everything from start to finish the the R&D, the research and development to the quality control standards to the manufacturing, packaging and shipping. So they learn all aspects of that business line um, and have developed it um, of candles as well. And um, we have some other collateral products. They do a lot of artwork through our expressive art therapy program. Um, and we moved that into the business as well. And so we sell artwork and then we transfer that on to to pieces like mugs and dog bowls. Um, we're going to try to make a cat bowl soon. Um, but really the essence and the mission behind it is providing employment opportunities so that folks can build a bank account um, so they can buy a car. We've had women get their license, buy a car. Um, we have women who have graduated out of our home who are living in their own apartments in the community now. Um, and so it, it's meant to be that long-term um, from like beginning mm -hmm. to, to end. Right. And so did, did you yeah. say doggy deodorant? Yes. There doggy. was such a thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is essential oil based. It's all natural. And the things yeah. you learn each day. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. We only have two minutes left. So I left the best question to last and you could pass if you wish, but to the extent that you're comfortable within 60 seconds, you, you, you are passionate about this. You've devoted your professional life, perhaps a lot of your life to this. And how did it start? Like, was there a moment where you said, this is something I want to, I, I, I need to address in my life? Is there, like, was there a moment in your life, Nita, that said, this is it for me. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I was working on my master's degree in theology with concentration in women's concerns. I had no idea I was going to get involved with this. But my professor showed it to me uh, by having me read some books and learn about it. And um, when I saw it and I realized what it was, I said to God, this is the worst thing I've ever seen on planet Earth. I have to do something. Lord, what mm -hmm. would you have me to do? And that began my journey. Wow. That's tremendous. Yeah. Jamie, did you have a moment where you said, this is what I want to, 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 uh, to dedicate my life, my ministry, my work to? Yeah, I think it, um, I don't know that I have an exact epiphany moment. I sort of, since a young child, always wanted to work on child abuse and neglect and um, always knew that I wanted to be in social work. And so, um, and, and knew about trafficking from a young age, from reading, from different life experiences, and um, just decided that really wanted, couldn't look away once I knew about this crime, just couldn't look right. away from doing something about it. Right. And so right. was fortunate enough mm -hmm. to find career paths where I could make, you know, a small, a small impact. But as Nita said, it takes mm -hmm. partnership and collaboration on so many levels to just right. keep up the fight. Right. Well, I will tell you this, I think for both of you, first, I'm extraordinarily grateful that you've spent this time discussing this issue because I have learned a lot. I think a lot of our listeners have learned a lot about an issue that should be at the forefront of, of much of what we're doing, both as a nation and as people of faith, regardless of the religion one believes in. I mean, this should bind all of us together to work on this. Absolutely. And I would say this, Jamie, if it's the impact, or you're talking a global problem, the impact of any of us individually may seem small in the big picture, but it's enormous in the individual lives that are touched, right? So if more and more people get involved with this, they, the impact is going to be enormous, right? So I'm grateful for that to both of you, very much so. Thank you, absolutely. We'll take one more quick break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. 
His Excellency has been talking with Nita Bells and Jamie Manarakiza about uh, human trafficking. And uh, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, Excellency, if it's okay with you, I would like to uh, take host privilege and skip the listener question this week because I have burning questions for Nita and Jamie. You, brother, do what you must do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I guess I have um, two questions, and I'll present them both, and then Jamie and Nita, you can uh, answer them as you see fit. My questions are, for uh, labor trafficking, what are signs that we should look for, and are there questions that we can ask people to see if they are being trafficked? And then my second question is, for parents, this is frightening. So uh, is there a place where we can go, parents can go to learn about um, how to take preventative steps so that your kids don't get caught up in this? So sure. Thank you. Uh, I think I'm happy to take this first question on the labor trafficking signs and turn it over to Nita on the child um, and parent parent signs. Um, I think signs to look for are recognizing that whether somebody's documented or undocumented um, on the labor end, um, knowing the industries to look for and recognizing that um, there are different ways that people can be exploited. So just having your eyes open to particular industries that are higher prevalent. So agriculture industry, snow removal, landscaping, tree cutting, construction, a lot of the, the skilled labor um, segments of our society that are often filled by um, immigrants. And those immigrants might be on a work guest worker visa, but that program, we I've served a lot of individuals who have um, been labor trafficked actually, who have been on a employer-based visa. Um, and we don't have time to get into that, but just recognizing um, both that, that folks have that vulnerability and getting to know them, talking to them, seeing if they appear frightened when they're at your work site um, or at your home, um, if they're no eye contact, if they seem to have unresolved injuries where they haven't been able to attend any sort of medical treatment. Um, and the basic things that I think we can all do to dispel sort of the fear of how do I approach this um, is recognizing that you're probably not going to quote unquote rescue anybody right in that moment. But it's, it's equipping somebody to know that they have rights and that there are places to go. So equipping yourself with the hotline number, passing that on to somebody, equipping yourself with some know your rights information that people have the right to be paid, that people have the right to safe work environments, like right, they should have access to use the restroom when they're at a work site for a 10 hour shift if they're working on a construction site. So like really basic human things and just looking out for those um, if, if you have access, whether it's in your workplace or your home um, and asking some questions of um, whoever, if you're doing the hiring, asking more questions about the um, work environments and the pay rates that, that the people are getting done. Um, and then if you, if you see anything suspicious, passing along some information of legal services for people and the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Nita, how about the parenting? 
So um, I think as parents, we need tools. And um, I'm going to suggest that we talk to our children about trafficking. And that's a hard thing to do. And people don't know how to talk to their children about trafficking. If you go to anourbackyard.org, there is a whole list of ways that parents can do that. Additionally, we have a couple of tools. We have a, bo- a, a small booklet there that you can get for about six bucks and, and uh, go through that with your children. They use it in schools, uh, in several schools in the United States. It is informative and yet age appropriate. Uh, additionally, I'm going to recommend my book for children that are a little older, uh, teens. We've written it some from 14 up. They should be able to read the book and, and be okay. Um, I suggest the parents read the book first, and that's probably the best thing a parent can do is read in our backyard and see what it really is like and begin to talk to their children about it, begin to see what they can do to understand it so they can watch for their children, they could prevent. But having an open dialogue with your children makes a huge difference and letting them know that you know it's there. I've spoken to high school groups and uh, the parents are like, oh, don't say sex trafficking, don't say pimp, don't say, you know, whatever. But uh, the kids already know those terms. So get with your kids, talk to them, let them know you are there for them to talk about. If there's a problem with one of their friends, they can come to you. You will not, you know, you will not implement them in the solution in ways that are unsafe. You will protect them, but uh, open that dialogue and get more and more awareness for children. Get behind talks, go to uh, if there is a presentation on human trafficking, take your child, help them to see what it really is and have that dialogue with them. If you've got a group of kids sitting around your house, then talk to the kids, bring up the topic. Um, so yeah, Great. talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll get back to listener questions again, starting next week. Um, in the meantime, I want to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Nita Bells and Jamie Manarikiza, thank you again so much for the life-saving work that you're both doing to rescue people who are being trafficked. And I echo that sentiment. Thank you both. And one more time, please give us each of your websites or where you'd like to send people for more information. We'll include them in the show notes. In our backyard.org. And peht.org. Good. Easy to remember. Great. Good. And the hotline is 888-3737-888. Okay. Correct. Thank you. You were both terrific. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. have done Thank a you. tremendous service. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. I appreciate your heart and your commitment to getting the word out. Mm-hmm. We have more to do. We have more to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Excellency, before we go, will you please give us your blessing? Sure, of course. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. 
And we ask that your Holy Spirit continue to bless Nita and Jamie and all those with whom they work as they serve to eradicate this evil in our midst. But we ask that your Holy Spirit continue to encourage us, enlighten us, and make us courageous witnesses of freedom, the freedom that is the right and destiny of all your children. So bless them in their work and bless all those whom we love and serve. For we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you both. And Steve, thank you. I, I will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.